Well, good, good morning. My name is Pastor Steve Winstead. To those of you who I have not had the distinct joy and privilege of meeting, I want to uh, welcome you on behalf of the many saints that have gone before our current elders, that have gone before our current staff, the many people that God has used over the generations to be a part of establishing and loving and building and growing this church that we affectionately call IEC, the International Evangelical Church of Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Welcome. Amen. When I, um, in my quiet time, my time with the Lord, when I have moments to dream and ask myself these questions, Lord, how, how would you I mean, to steward this time, this brief moment that you've given me on this earth? What would you have me to live for? The Lord always brings me back to the picture in Revelation. Revelation 5.9. Revelation 7.9. Where one day we see every tribe, tongue, nation, and people from all over the world, worshiping, worshiping at the throne of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what I want to live for now. Let me tell you, today, we get a beautiful, glorious foretaste of what is to come. As we have people from every continent on earth, from so many different nations, from nations who often don't agree, nations who, who don't get along. We have, we have people gathered here who, if you took our countries, they would declare themselves enemies. We have people from different tribes, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic statuses. We have a, a very diverse body gathered here today, but we have a oneness that can only be found in Jesus Christ, and I praise Him for that. We can gather as one body, as one people to worship today. Well, today, I want us to look at a passage in Scripture where we see how the gospel went from the Jewish people out to the, the Gentiles. And when we speak of the Gentiles, in Scripture, that means anybody who is non-Jewish. So how the gospel went from the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and God spread it all over the world. And one day, it is assured, we see it in, in Luke 24, we see it in Scripture, it is assured one day God promises all the nations, all the peoples, all the tribes will gather and worship Him. But we're going to look at how God started this. We're going to look at a city in the Bible. There's many cities in the Bible that are quite famous. Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Capernaum, Nazareth, Jericho, Rome, Philippi, Corinth, <laughs> Ephesus. I guess they didn't like Rome. Thessalonica, Colossae, so many cities mentioned in our Bible. 
Yet there's one city I want us to look at, and a church in that city. A city that no letter in the Bible is ever written to. A, a city that, that many never even talk about in all of Scripture. Yet, for us here today, God used the people in this city in such a unique way that we trace our spiritual lineage, our spiritual heritage. So many of us go back to what God did in and through this group of people. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. We'll read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. And I would like to invite you for, to stand as we read God's Word. Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles, so you can follow along there. Hear the good, gracious, holy Word of God. Now those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does declare that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But your word, God, your word stands forever. And may this be the word, God, that is faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, we recognize nothing of any eternal significance is spoken. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, again, today we're looking at how the gospel went from the Jews to the Gentiles. Uh, we mentioned this church in Antioch. It plays a crucial role in the spread of the gospel. It was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and in many ways it was a, a model congregation. It was in one of the largest cities in that area of the world. A hundred to three hundred thousand people lived in this city. It had a wealthy, thriving Jewish uh, contingency living in that city. It had culture, it had commerce, it had worldly thinking. Immorality was rampant in the city. 
And its first mention, the first time we hear this city Antioch mentioned in the Bible is in Acts chapter 6, when the disciples, the apostles, were doing so much that they appointed some elders. Not elders, but deacons. Seven deacons to do the work of serving. The elders do the job of lead, feed, protect the congregation. Elders take a lead serving role. And these seven men take a lead serving role. And one of them is named Nicholas. And he's a Gentile convert to Christianity. And he's listed as a deacon from Antioch. So this strategic city, Antioch's port city, people would travel through Antioch. It was uh, a road uh, on a road that went from Egypt to Asia to Europe. Everything traveled through Antioch. But yet when it was built, it was built as a divided city. It put Syrians on this side. And it put Greeks in the other part. And by the time that the book of Acts is written by Luke, there are 18 different ethnic groups living there, separated by walls. Different ethnic groups come together in this church because who can unite people who come from different political views, different ethnic backgrounds, different races, different nations? Who can unite that but Jesus Christ? We can't understand how to do that. It's only under Jesus that these things happen. And Jesus brings them together here at the church in Antioch. And what I want to share with you today, if you have a bulletin, you'll find these. And I always encourage people to take notes, not because I believe anything I have to say is significant, but because we are looking at the Word of God. And when God speaks, we want to listen. So I want to give you 11 global disciple-making principles from Acts chapter 11. 11 global disciple-making principles from Acts chapter 11. Our first one is here in verse 19. Ordinary Christians are used by God. It says those. Now those who were scattered because of persecution over Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven original deacons of the church in Jerusalem. And Stephen will be the first man to die for the name of Jesus Christ. We see in Acts chapter 8, after the stoning and death of Stephen, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, and Saul approved of his execution. There's this man named Saul there. He is the official representation of the nation of Israel. He's a man who is uh, representing the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, and he stands there saying, we give approval to the death of this man named Stephen for declaring the name of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse chapter 8, verse 1, that there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Here's what had happened. All the, the Jewish Christians had hunkered down in Jerusalem. Jesus had told them, go make disciples of all nations, yet they just stayed in Jerusalem. They were afraid. They were afraid to go and tell those who've never heard. So they stayed right there in Jerusalem. So God brought persecution. And they're scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles. These men end up scattered. These are ordinary people. 
doesn't mention professions, doesn't mention programs being used by the church, doesn't mention types of music or music styles. No, what we see is ordinary Christians equipping ordinary Christians to do the work of ministry. This is a beautiful thing that we see here. Second point, God spreads the gospel through persecution. I don't like persecution. I venture to say none of us like persecution. Yet God's, one of his primary means for spreading the good news of Jesus Christ is through the means of persecution. I mentioned that when Stephen was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus Christ, there's a man named Saul standing there. He is the official representative of the Jewish council. They're giving approval. Yet because of Stephen's death, the church scatters. And the church goes to a place called Antioch. And that church in Antioch will be established. And several years later, this man named Saul, his name will be changed to Paul. And the church that will send Paul out on all of his missionary journeys, Paul passes through this church or is launched from this church in Antioch. The very church that would send Paul out is the church that was established because of the death of a martyr named Stephen who Paul stood there approving. That will be the church that would send him. That's how our God works. Our God can take things that look like they're intended for evil and he'll turn them upside down for his glory. And that's what God does with Saul. The gospel spreads through persecution. In Philippians 1, it says we've been granted to suffer for Christ. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Your risk in life increases as your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ grows. Persecution increases as you walk closer with Jesus. That's inevitable. That's what's going to happen. We see in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he tells his disciples this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus tells his disciples, you're going out like a sheep. Do you know what a sheep can do well? Only one thing, follow. Everything else a sheep is pretty terrible at. A sheep can't defend himself. They can't bite. They have dull teeth. They're slow. A sheep is defenseless against a wolf. A wolf will destroy a sheep. The only hope a sheep has is that a good shepherd will protect him. That's who we are. We're sheep. So you better draw close to the good shepherd. Stick by his side. Follow him. Don't roam too far. Because let me tell you, there are wolves looking to destroy each of us. And they often come looking very subtle. They don't come often as scary wolves. They come dressed as sheep. They look good. Oftentimes it's good things, but the enemy will use it to pull us away from what he's called us to. No, God uses ordinary people and he spreads the gospel through persecution. And let me tell you, spreading the gospel, God has made it this way. This is the way God has established it. It's not easy work, but it's the work that God has said, I'm going to use my people to do that. God uses us to spread the gospel. Jesus is better than any ease, comfort that this world can offer. No, God wants to use us. Third thing, 
Someone must go to the unreached. Someone must go. In verse 20 we say, But there was some of them, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that the gospel was just going to the Jewish people, but they begin to go to the Gentiles. For the gospel to spread all over this world, someone has to be willing to go. What you see here is you see a mono-ethnic church in Jerusalem made up of all Jewish believers. Here God says, that's not my intent. I want all the peoples. I want them all. I want them all worshiping me. I want all nations worshiping me. I'm going to bring them all here. So we see that God's going to send people out to go and spread the gospel. Right here in Ethiopia, according to Operation World, there are 113 people groups, 36 of which are considered unreached or unevangelized. Right here in Ethiopia, if you look at the nations surrounding us, those are some of the most difficult places to reach with the gospel. Right here in Ethiopia, if you drew a line across Africa and cut it through Ethiopia, the majority of what's north of us will be predominantly Islamic. The majority of what's south of us would be considered predominantly Christian. We live surrounded, surrounded by the unreached peoples of this world. God has placed us here. He has put us here for a reason, for a purpose. Someone has to go to them. This is not easy work. God calls us to go to the unreached. I remember several years ago, I think it was like 15 years now, I was in a country in Asia, and we were working with people who were part of an underground church. Christianity was illegal in this nation, and we were working with an underground church group, and they had sent us to go and work with some people that worked in a factory. And they told us, they said, tonight... We're gathering everybody for a parenting seminar. We want you to talk about parenting to these people. But listen, at the end, we want you to end it this way. These are the believers in this country telling us what to do. They said, we want you to end it by sharing the gospel. Make a clear gospel presentation, and we'll take it from there. They said, for us, we can't do that. For you... Coming from another country, you can do that. So that night, I remember, we were teaching. At the end of the teaching, I had a man with me named Lamar, and I said, Lamar, it's your time to go up and share the gospel. He made a clear, simple, beautiful gospel presentation that we are dead, we are hopeless that we have rebelled against God and our only hope is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who will reconcile us to Himself. He will make us a new creation. We can be born again that He saves, that He rescues. And He asked, how many of you would like to trust in this message? And we looked and every hand went up. And we thought, well, that, that can't be right. They don't, they don't know what we're talking about. But put your hands down. Say it one more time. He went through the whole thing one more time and asked the same question and every hand went up. And again, we said, they're not understanding. Put your hands down. And at that point, our host looked at us and said, we got it. We'll gather their names. We'll take it from here. 
I remember I looked at my watch when Lamar got up to speak. 9.17 at night. We left that factory and went over across town to where a group of people had gathered to worship God. This was the underground church. They were, had start arriving at 6 a.m. in the morning. They arrived two at 6, a couple more at 7, a couple more at 8. Every couple of hours, a few more people would rise because they couldn't all arrive together because they draw too much attention. But by the time we walked through that door, this apartment was filled with people worshiping God. And when we walked in, the room went silent because they didn't want to draw attention. And I remember a dear friend of mine looked at me and his eyes were wide and he said, did they all receive Christ? And I swallowed hard because this isn't my normal experience and I go, I think they did. And he said, well, what time was it? And I said, well, I looked at my watch when Lamar got up to speak and it was 9.17, and his jaw dropped. And he said, at that very moment, we were praising God, we were singing praises, and they all said, stop, we've got to pray. Because right now they're going to be sharing the gospel over with those people who've never heard. Let me tell you, God can awaken the dead man to life. The message of the gospel is the most powerful, glorious, beautiful message that the world has ever heard. And God has entrusted it to us to go and tell. So someone's got to go and tell this message. That's to be on our lips and on our hearts and on our hands. Which brings me to the fourth point. God's hand is with those who go. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I pray you've had these moments in life. I've had a few of them. I wish I had more. But these moments in life where you see the hand of God work in such a way that you go, He's real, He's living, He's active. There's no denying that. That night in Asia was one of those in my life. And God has given me, by His grace, others. And when I have those days where I go, God, today's a tough day. God, are, are, are you real? Do you, do you care about what's going on? He brings me back to those moments where He goes, I've shown you my might. I've shown you my power. You stay faithful. In church, that's what I say to you. Some of you here today, you're thinking, what is God doing through me? What does God have for me? You stay faithful, church. Hand of God works with those who are with Him. And it's a joy to watch. Jesus says this in the Great Commission. He says, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, as you go and you seek to share the gospel, you seek to make disciples and grow them to maturity, as you go to do this, the hand of God is with you. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you as you go and endeavor and labor in this. And I've tasted no greater joy in life no greater joy in life than seeing the clear hand of God work. I pray we all taste that. I pray we all see that.
It's a beautiful thing to watch. And look, as the hand of the God is at work, it says people convert, they believe, they trust. The fifth thing, serve where the Lord leads. Serve where the, where, where the Lord leads you. We see in verse uh, 22 and 23, report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, I love Barnabas. He's a man we first see in Acts chapter 4. He's generous. He, he gives. He's, he's a loving man. He's Gentile. He's gentle. And God sends him to the church in Antioch. To get this, he didn't begin the church in Antioch. Barnabas isn't the church planter. Barnabas isn't the one who started the church. Barnabas is the one who goes being faithful to what God calls him to do. And for us, that's a reminder that we are to serve right where God places us. Make no about it, doubt about it. There are those who are to go. There are those who are to go to the unreached. And there are those who are to stay. There are those who are to stay. And if God calls you to stay, we hold the ropes. We build up the church. We help send those who would go. Some go. Most will stay. And Barnabas goes and gets this. He serves where the Lord has him. He doesn't start the ministry. It's not named after him. In fact, Barnabas... Is one of the more overlooked men in Scripture. Which brings me to the sixth point. Grace and faithfulness are more important than giftedness. Grace and faithfulness are far more important than giftedness. Our world is amazed at the gifts of a human. We will think that they're amazing. But God says, give me someone who's faithful. Give me someone who will be obedient. Look in verse 24. It says, And he was a good man. This is Barnabas. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And here's the results of this good man. Here's the results of this man full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. He's humble. Let me tell you this. God can only use the humble to truly reach the world. Because pride says... I'm going to act like I'm God. It's about me. Pay attention to me. Humility says, God, pay attention to him. Don't look at any man. Look at God Almighty. Look at the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what humility does. And that's what we see with this man named Barnabas. To our many young men and women here with lots of gifts and talents, Realize to be a young, gifted person is one of the most dangerous places you can be in because people will be amazed by your gifts. But if God doesn't develop your character and your maturity and your Christ-likeness, your gifts will outrun your maturity. No, God wants to grow us. He needs to develop us. He wants to mature us. So for you, those of you who are saying, hey, I'm not very gifted, God will use a faithful person far more than he will a gifted person. We're to be faithful. Seventh thing, take others with you. Verse 25. Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. 
In the book of Acts, it starts off Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas, this man who was an encourager, he disciples Paul. He builds Paul up so much so, and this is radical in many of our cultures, that Paul becomes more prominent than Barnabas. Do you know how many people in ministry, do you know how many pastors and church leaders are so afraid of investing in somebody else because they might become better than they are and they'll say, then I'm obsolete. That's the enemy speaking. No, you invest in people, you build people up and you'll never be obsolete in the kingdom. God will keep using you. You will be a kingdom builder, a kingdom multiplier. That's what God wants. And Barnabas, his name is son of encouragement. He encourages and builds up and Paul gets more of the spotlight than Barnabas ever does. That's how we're to live, church. The greatest joy, one of the great joys of your life should be seeing someone that you've invested in who has more gifts, more talent, more faithfulness, and you've invested in them and you get to watch them run. That's what discipleship's about. That's how God spreads this all over the world. So you take others with you. Jesus sent them out two by two. I remember on... December 26th, 2004, the day after Christmas, I turned on the news to find a tsunami had hit in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It had devastated India, devastated Indonesia, Thailand, so many, Sri Lanka, so many countries there in that this, uh, Indian Ocean region had been devastated by this. A couple weeks later, I get a call from a man who had been discipling me for several years. If you've been here, you've heard me speak of a man named Roy Soup Campbell. And he called me and he said, Winstead, we go into Indonesia. Let me know by tomorrow if you're in. And I remember I swallowed hard and hung up the phone and thought, am I going to jump on this trip with him? I began to pray and by the next day I called him and I said, I'm in. It was a small group of us. It was the group that he had been spent the most time with, the guys that he knew. He had, he had built and equipped for this, and we took a several-day journey to Indonesia. And we went into an area called Aceh Land. Aceh Land had been at civil war for 15 years, and nobody from the West had entered this area in 15 years. Yet because of this tsunami, because of this tragedy, because of this terrible thing that had happened, we were allowed to go. As we drove up there, I remember stopping and military armaments, military soldiers would stop us and they would hop in the car with us and ride with us for a period of time and then hop back out. They would sit next to me with semi-automatic weapons. And I think, Lord, what am I doing here? we came to this beach. I've still never seen anything like this in my life. It was like a war zone. Total destruction. Everything was gone. They were still pulling dead bodies out of the water. And I remember standing on that beach with a few other men as we were told, hey, this is an opportunity. 
Nobody that's willing to share the gospel has been here in a long time. We're going to march throughout the city and we're going to talk to people. You're going two by two. Take somebody with you. Don't go alone. And if you find somebody that's a person of peace that you can speak with, you share the gospel with them. But I have to tell you this. The punishment for sharing the gospel in this area world is death. But they won't kill you because you're a Westerner. They'll just kick you out. And if you get kicked out, meet at the Golden Royal Hotel in Singapore. I've never been to the Golden Royal Hotel in Singapore. But it's a name that's burned deep in my mind. I'll never forget that name. So me and one other brother in Christ, we walked throughout this city. The city is destroyed. That's a wasteland. And we found this family with 17 children. And we sat with them for several hours and talked. Only three of the children were theirs. One of the babies, they had a baby they were holding. I said, where did where'd the baby come from? The baby was in the tree from the tsunami. All these children had been abandoned and left. Their parents were dead from the tsunami. And this family took in 17 of them. And we had the joy and privilege of scattering gospel seed of sharing the gospel. But I tell you, I'm not bold. I'm scared. I'm fragile. But God gave me a brother in Christ beside me to walk into it with. You don't go alone. No, God says you go with somebody else. You take somebody else with you. Which brings me to the eighth point. Teach the word. Verse 26. It says, And when he had found him, he finds Paul. He brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year he met with the church and taught many people. Taught a great many people. He teaches the Word. I say this often, and I will continue to say it often. I have nothing to offer you but the Word of God, the written Word, the living Word, Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can give to you. No, when you go, you declare the Word, the glorious Word of God. The Word of God has power. It has might. It transforms lives. We teach. We preach. We lift up the Word of God. Don't neglect as you invest in people to build up young Christians to know the Word of God, to be established in the Word of God, to be discipled in the Word of God. For that to be their joy and their strength in their life is God's good and holy Word. It says here in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, they were disciples, but then they get a higher title, Christian. Now, we use that word a lot, but we often miss its meaning. What it means is this, little Christ. It was originally an insult. What they would do is they would look at somebody and they'd go, you're acting like a little Jesus. You're just a little Messiah over there. They lived and acted and their life was so transformed by Jesus Christ that when people saw them, they said, you're like Jesus. Christian. That's who we are. We're to be like Jesus so much that others would look at us and see Christ through us. We're not a little Jesus, but it's them seeing Jesus through us. The ninth thing. Meet Physical needs. Look at this in verse 28. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit 
that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Actually, we know from history, from the historian Tatius, that this took place in 45, 46 BC. So this is an historically documented world famine. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea. Meet physical needs, church. We are called. We see somebody in need as a church. We are to respond. That's what they do. That's how we share the love of God with people often. I've heard it said, how can a man hear the gospel if his stomach is hungry? No, we meet those needs. Now here's the danger. If we only meet those needs, the greatest need is for Christ. So many of you, we're blessed to have a, a congregation. Many of you, you work in various uh, ministries, NGOs, uh, embassies, and you have different regulations about what you can do and what you can't do and what you can share. But let me tell you this, because you're a Christ follower there, God has placed you there to be a gospel agent, a gospel witness. So as God gives us opportunity, we share and we meet physical needs, church. There's nothing wrong with that. Some have said, we don't need to do that. The gospel's so important. It's so much more important than meeting physical needs. And no, we meet physical needs, but we do so in the name of the gospel, in the name of Jesus Christ, to build the platform to declare that. They meet many needs. Now, I said I have 11 points from Acts 11. The last two are from Acts 13. So I hope that doesn't bother anybody. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now there was a church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mantian, a member of the high court of Herod, and Saul. It mentions these five leaders of the church of Antioch. Our tenth point send your best leaders. Look at what happens in verse 3. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands and sent them off. They send Paul, called Saul, and Barnabas off. 40% of this church's leadership is sent out the doors. Go! There's people who don't know. 60% of them stay, 40% of them to go. This is the church leadership. And look at what a diverse group this is. Paul and Barnabas, they're both Jewish, but they were raised in Palestine. They were fluent in both cultures. Manian, he grew up in the household of a king, Herod. Lucius of Cyrene, he was from North Africa. Simon called Nigeria, he was from more southern parts of Africa. Look at the diversity of his body. We got two people here from Africa and God sends them out. Paul will travel more than 16,000 kilometers. He'll start 14 churches as he goes out. One of the great joys of serving here is at this church has been a glorious, beautiful, strong church for many, many decades. And I believe it will continue to be for many, many more decades. God has been using this place. And as long as we hold true to the, the living word and the written word, I believe God will continue to use us. We have a very simple strategy here. We make disciples. We equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what we do. And we send them out. This church's history goes back to the 1940s before nearly all of us were born 
started as the Gospel Chapel by a group of missionaries. In 1978, it became known as the International Evangelical Church. God has continued to bless this church with rich, glorious, beautiful diversity, unlike you'll see many other places, and we praise God for that. That is a beautiful thing. And I love how the church celebrates the diversity of the nations. Even as we have all these flags up here, it's not because we worship the nations. It's because we want to be reminded that one day every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to worship God. Well, today I'm really excited. What's happening today isn't of my doing. It's my hands had really nothing to do with this. It's truly of God and of other saints He has used. Today we get to, as an international church, that welcomes the nations to Ethiopia. Thank you to our Ethiopian brothers and sisters for embracing the nations, welcoming the nations, making us feel welcome. We are grateful. But today, for the first time, we get to send a brother in Christ from Ethiopia to the nations, to the unreached. Isn't that beautiful? Praise God. I believe there's saints in heaven who are part of the seed group for this in the 1940s, 1950s, and they're looking down going, look, we came there to share the gospel, and now they're sending people to the unreached. I pray that this will be the tip, what we call the tip of the iceberg. It'll be the first of many. That we will be a church that sends people to the nations. That we will send people from this beautiful, glorious nation of Ethiopia to the nations. In Acts, from our passage, verse 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called you. It was during worship that God moved. And worship, worship's what fuels the mission of God, that we worship Him. Worship means that He is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of laying our lives down. And as we sing, we worship God. So let's church, let's stand. May we go making disciples of the nations for the glory of God. Let's go in that church. Amen.